I remember the first time I heard the term emotional sobriety and it totally scared me because it sounded like something that I didn't know how to do. But I knew in my bones it was something that I craved. My problem wasn't ever substance abuse. That wasn't the issue that I happened to have. My issue was childhood PTSD. And that's what was turning my life upside down in a way where it was very much like being an alcoholic or a drug addict. I was exhausted all the time. I was late to things. I got angry easily. I was sad a lot. And this was back before there was a word for what happens to people who were traumatized as kids. I thought it was just me and I was embarrassed and I wasn't too sure that I knew how to change. So the feeling I got from those words, emotional sobriety was like, it was just really powerful and I wanted to have it. In recovery circles for drugs and alcohol, the word sobriety is a really important thing, obviously, but it means more than just not drunk or not high. In the context of substance abuse healing, sober means a person is living in a frame of mind and in an emotional state that is even keel and non-dramatic and that helps prevent relapses because that's what tends to set off relapse, emotional upsets or any kind of emotional intensity, which can even include positive emotions like elation. Now, if you've ever had any kind of addiction, you know that it's the continued abstinence that can be the hardest. So staying sober can really depend on guarding against experiences that are going to be emotionally upsetting or intense, at least during early sobriety. And that probably means avoiding the slippery behaviors that can kind of open the door to intense emotional experiences like, you know, getting into an argument or having a one night stand or letting yourself get too lonely or getting into sneaky activities of some kind that make you feel like you have to lie about yourself, like, I don't know, stealing. So that feels pretty clear to me. Keep life gentle, not too crazy when intense emotions could drive you to take a drink or pick up a drug. But what about for people who are healing from trauma that they experienced when they were kids? What constitutes a relapse for us? I would say it's when we slip into emotional or neurological dysregulation. And that's the brain state that sometimes gets triggered in those of us with CPTSD. It can be a big avalanche of negative emotions or a discombobulated spaced out feeling or even a state of hyper excitement about money or romance. Now, dysregulation isn't the same thing as intoxication, but it can mimic that lack of clear judgment, that volatility, or the complete lack of boundaries that you'd see in someone who's drunk or high. And if you're wondering if you get dysregulated, by the way, you might want to take the quiz that I developed that lists common symptoms. And that quiz is on the free tools page of my website. There's other stuff there. And the free tools page is always linked in the description below my videos. And I should say this, while dysregulation and intoxication are not the same thing, trauma and addiction are definitely related in that a history of trauma seems to have a high correlation with subsequent addiction. Some people like um, Gabor Mate, for example, believe that all addiction has a basis in trauma. Not everyone agrees with that, but even if all addiction arises out of trauma, even if that's true, one distinction between addiction and trauma is that with addiction, the substances themselves are the active agent. You take them, you get drunk or high. With trauma, there's nothing quite parallel to that. The active agent is seldom something that you consume. It's an experience or a behavior that functions as a trigger. And one example would be someone yelling at you. Your emotions would just, you know, skyrocket like anyone, but because of the 
history of trauma, there can be an oversized intensity to it, a physiological reaction that you can't directly control or avoid. So without any conscious decision or behavior from you, without a conscious action, you can slide into dysregulation relapse. And I'm guessing that feeling is instinctively familiar to you. So how could a person with CPTSD strengthen themselves against that kind of relapse and cultivate emotional sobriety? The first thing is to be guarded around negative thinking and emotions that could be a slippery slope into oversized negative feelings. And it's possible to notice you're feeling sad or angry, but not to just dive into those feelings. A lot of treatments that are meant to help people recovering from trauma encourage the exploration of negative emotions. You know, oh, that's terrible. How do you feel about that? Sometimes that's a part of healing. But when it comes to healing painful memories, there's such a thing as healthy compartmentalization. Small upsets might be safe to let in and feel, but something horrible and upsetting might need to be kind of held at a slight distance for yourself. It's possible to look at a tough situation and not open your heart to it 100%. And of course, when someone always shuts down around painful feelings, that's not healthy, that's denial. But having a little bit of control over when to embrace the feelings and when to be a little more circumspect is a good thing. That's part of emotional sobriety. To some degree, you can avoid triggers. When you're working hard on healing from trauma, it may not be the time to start a new relationship or run for political office. It's a good time to engage more with activities that are calming for you. Exercise, you know, being outside in nature, avoiding high conflict, high drama people, avoiding the news. When you're triggered, an ordinary feeling like anger can froth up into rage. And now you're on thin ice emotionally. And with CPTSD, rage can easily burst out into, you know, saying something that you'll regret, followed by three days of intense dysregulation. Is it worth it? Have you ever had this happen? Or on the other end of the emotional spectrum, the trigger could be a positive emotion like elation or giddiness, triggered by something that feels thrilling or exciting, like when a person you weren't sure likes you finally texts you, or you get a surprise check in the mail. With CPTSD, even elation can be strong enough that it causes you to relapse just as hard as if you had a rage attack. And it starts as good news, but the resulting dysregulation can throw you into, eventually, depression, anxiety, brain fog, or romantic obsession. Those are some of the things that'll really knock you off your game. So emotional sobriety means being mindful about things that are emotionally intense for you, good and bad. And you can avoid experiences that are likely to trigger you while you simultaneously learn to calm your reaction to triggers. There's a strong emotional reaction, and then there's a period of dysregulation, followed by a period of getting back on your feet again. So when it happens, you can be working on it. Sometimes the victory is that you got out of your slip and you didn't let it lead to an avalanche of dysregulation. Now falling down, getting back up, it's practice. It's how we do it. It's how you'll learn to use your tools to start handling stress in a better way. But of course, when it's too much, it can really set you back. If you're hiding from life though, you're not getting the chance to learn. Now, of course, it's impossible to completely avoid triggers. Life is full of them. They can be subtle, they can be automatic. They're things that you did nothing to cause, like you know, a car almost hits you when you're crossing the street or, or waking up dysregulated. That happens to me, that's an emotional flashback. You can't just stop going outside or stop working or stop waking up, but you can focus on noticing and arresting the emotional reaction that follows. Now that's easier said than done, but there are ways to do it.
For most people who went through abuse and neglect as a kid, there are some pretty standard patterns in terms of emotions. The emotions that can snowball include fear, like fear of abandonment or a panic attack, anger, uh, definitely anger, a feeling of injustice or a feeling we're being unfairly singled out for mistreatment or left out, being overlooked, being discounted, being criticized, being rejected, feeling jealous, and definitely, definitely shame. That's one of the big ones, feeling ashamed. And so it starts with like normal level thought, like, oh, I think I may have said something I shouldn't have said. But with the CPTSD kind of interacting with it in your mind, it can, it can escalate from I shouldn't have said that to oh, I'm a worthless idiot and I'll be alone forever. And this kind of self-attack can then lead to hurtful behavior towards others, which can lead to more self-attack or retaliation from them, in fact. And then the feelings go out of control. They get giant, they go all over the place, they no longer make sense in the context of what happened. Is that a familiar thing with your CPTSD symptoms sometimes? So emotional sobriety is the state when a person has gotten skilled, not at denying their emotions, but at halting the progression of emotions from an ordinary right size level to a you know full incredible Hulk ripped t-shirt rage attack. And having some control over this takes time. It takes practice. Talking to people, learning from them, learning to tolerate the times when you fail, and getting support from people whose experience and judgment you trust. Part of this healing cycle is getting back up on your feet and trying again. And it may bother you sometimes that while you are exercising emotional restraint, other people are just allowing themselves to go emotionally wild. They can yell, they can rush into a relationship, they can stay home and eat ice cream in bed all day if they want to, and nothing bad seems to happen. But don't let this fool you into throwing away your emotional sobriety. Even people without CPTSD do better when they pause and temper those impulses. For you, pausing is everything. It takes self-discipline to avert the intense reaction. But the more days you live through where you haven't freaked out on someone or made an impulsive decision, the more you have an inner equilibrium that makes it easier and easier to pause between trigger and reaction. Now, just like with alcohol or drugs, it's easy to get cocky and think, you know, I haven't jumped into an instant or ill-advised relationship in two years. I think I can handle jumping into this relationship that's right in front of me today. But we all know what happens. <laughs> the same old thing, only sometimes even worse than before. Now, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that alcoholism is, is progressive and fatal. And that means a person might not drink for many years, but if they relapse and return to drinking, it will be as if it has progressed a great deal during the years they weren't drinking. It's, it's more severe than it used to be. And it's my experience that emotional sobriety is vulnerable in the same way. You haven't raged at another driver in a long time, and then your defenses get weak one day, and you end up you know, chasing somebody down the road because they cut you off. You're leaning on your horn. Then you feel ashamed, and the dysregulation comes back. But now you know you're capable of something better, so the shame feels even worse. And maybe that's a good thing. But the pain, the pain is there worse than you used to feel it. That's sometimes how we learn. And when you notice you're in the danger zone, with the gateway emotions, if you will, you can take immediate steps to back out of them before it gets worse. Don't make hasty decisions. Don't make big pronouncements until you've had a chance to run it by a trusted friend. 
use measures like my daily practice, which is the set of techniques I use every day to release emotional residue and get calmer and clearer. You can exercise, take a shower, dance, you can bite a lemon, anything that helps give you a little nudge, a little push on your nervous system with a sensation or a movement or a reminder that you're working to heal those old reactions, they help. Other people might tell you, oh no, you're doing it wrong, that you need to feel your anger or you need to grieve or you need, you need to go deeper into your emotions and ask yourself, does the person saying this know about the role of dysregulation in complex trauma? Have they experienced it? Do they know what it's like to turn into the Incredible Hulk when emotions come up? They know what works for them. You're learning what works for you and the triggers in life, they never stop. But here's how you'll know that you're growing more and more emotionally sober. One is you'll keep a fairly positive attitude even when life's problems come up. You will use words and honesty to express your feelings rather than manipulate people or fear how they'll react if you tell the truth. You will be comfortable when you're alone and comfortable when you're with other people. You'll be able to say no to those people gracefully when you need to. You won't feel the need to people please. You'll be willing to help other people when they ask and when it's reasonable to do so. Yes, you can say yes, but you're not going to feel like you have to fix them or save them. You'll have the power to go slow in dating relationships so you have time to get to know the other person and assess if they're a good potential partner for you. And when you see red flags, you'll step away. When you're sad, you'll cry, but you won't get sucked into an emotional black hole. When you're angry, you'll be able to stand up for yourself or work things out if you want to. And when the other person isn't willing to work things out, you'll be able to accept that without losing your calm. You'll develop a genuine interest in other people. And rather than wanting to get something from them or make them fix you, you will be happy to find that you're capable of meeting your own needs. And then the need to help or rely on other people won't scare you or drive you into self-denial. You'll be able to ask for the help that you need when you do. You'll be able to tune out other people's unnecessary drama, right? You'll have enough self-discipline to care for yourself and the people who depend on you in an ordinary and good enough way. You'll give yourself enough sleep, enough exercise, good food, and a good social life. You'll begin to feel confident that whatever happens, you will figure out how to deal with it. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.